Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of leading conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. I'm Cheryl Esposito. Today, we have a very special guest, Coot Blackson, who has been with us before. I'm very excited to have him back again. Coot is a transformational leader. He coaches people around the world. Inc. Magazine has named him as the transformational mindset guru that billionaires go to. Um, And for help, that is. And he is a best-selling author. His most recent book, The Magic of Surrender, Finding the Courage to Let Go, is very exciting. And I'm going to be talking about that today. And he's also the author of best-selling book, You Are the One. Coot, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. So so nice to see you. It's been so long since I've seen you. It's just wonderful to have you here. So where are you today? I'm in sunny Los Angeles. The sky is bright and uh, the air is crisp. Oh, nice. Very nice. Uh, so, you know, uh, in reading your book, um, I was um, a bit taken aback and, you know, from, from page one and the writing about your mother um and her passing and my condolences um and how it touched me immediately because last year my mother passed away and so i you know as i was reading and i started to tear up i think why am i crying i was like oh because this is me and this is coot putting himself out there so clearly and so vulnerable and being willing to share his own learning with all of us so that we we can learn. So um, I'm very appreciative that you were willing to let us in mm. into that part of you. So um, and so how has it been for the last few years? It was 2017 when she passed, right? It's been, yeah, it's been, what, 17, four and a half years since she passed yeah, away. Yeah. And uh, I'll be honest, I feel now uh, a deep peace. Um, mm. It was really difficult in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It was really challenging in the beginning. Yeah. I remember when she first passed away, there was such a depth of grief that was present. And I, 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 I really just took the time to allow myself to feel the grief. There were like grief sessions that I gave myself in the evenings where where I would just sit and just give myself full permission to Mm. feel the grief. And and it was in feeling the grief that I think I was, it gave me the space to also honor the love and the love I had for my mother. And when I felt the grief, sometimes there were tears, sometimes there was emotion, sometimes there were you know, sensation, sometimes there was just thoughts, feelings, but in feeling the grief, I remember there were waves and stages and layers of the grieving process where I would, it was like the shape of my, the current shape of my heart 
literally would, the grief would shatter the shape of my heart and, and my heart would break. And as it broke, it, it, it was as though it didn't break, but it broke open. And the grieving allowed my heart to break open to another dimension, another uh, expansion of, of loving. And there was more space and more love. And, and so uh, the process has been honestly intense, beautiful, extraordinary. But it was also through the passing of my mother that I got to, because she was no longer limited to the physical form, and up until that moment, obviously, I felt the spiritual, emotional connection with her. But once she passed away, she was no longer in the physical. Then I really got to feel a whole other dimension of my relationship with her that was no longer limited to the physicality. And so in that sense, strangely, I felt and feel closer to her now uh, than when she was even alive. I mean, obviously, there's moments when I wish I could be with her and hug her and have tea with her and, yeah. you know, take a walk. But there is a spiritual closeness uh, beyond physicality that is present now that is, is really is different, is special, is, is, a, is, is a privilege to feel. And yeah. so I feel her I feel her guiding me uh, every step of the way. I felt her I felt my mother guiding me and her spirit guiding me in so many instances and situations and circumstances over the years. So it's been a blessing. It's been a blessing. Um, so I know that um, your background, having been born in Ghana and um, to a father who was also from Ghana, yes? Yes, I was born in yeah. Ghana. My father's, my mother's Japanese and my mother's right. from Ghana. So my mother's yeah. Japanese, my father's from Ghana. Yes, yeah. Yeah. he's full-on, full-on Ghanaian. Full-on Ghanaian. Uh, is he still alive? My father was still alive, yeah. yeah. And, and, and interestingly, my relationship with my father transformed itself in a really profound way since my mother's passing. I remember right. when, when, my mother, when my mother passed away, I... I didn't expect my mother to go first. I actually expected my father to go first because he's oh. I think, 11 years older. So the obvious thing is, well, he's going to pass. So, right. so I was preparing myself for my father to pass and my mother went. And in those moments of initial grieving, I was speaking to my mother's spirit. And I asked my mother, like, why did you leave so fast? Why did you go mm -hmm. before my father? And my mother and I were very close growing up and she was the one that raised me. My father and yeah. I were a little distant and I loved him, but we weren't that close. And even though I'd forgiven him for some, certain things that I felt he wasn't present for, wasn't the way I needed him to be, we still weren't close. And, mm -hmm. and so when my mother passed away, I felt her spirit telling me that the reason, she said, like, son, the reason I passed away early was to gift you a relationship, a deeper relationship with your father, that even in her passing, she she removed her physical presence, which created a space and a vacuum that then kind of was the invitation for me to cultivate the relationship with my father and shall, shall I say facilitate yeah. the healing and the karmic healing with my father. And so when my mother passed away, because of that moment, I 
felt her wanting me to do that. And so I decided that I was going to just drop all of my uh, righteousness and all of my anything I held towards my father. I was just going to drop it. And I decided that it, none of it was really worth it because ultimately in the moment of death, None of it means that much anyway. And all that really matters is the loving. And so I decided that I was going to call my father every day, every day for the rest of my life, no matter what. I dropped any expectation. Now, my father was never there for me. He didn't show up for me. He was never there in in any way. I didn't feel like he really was present in my life in so many ways. And so when I decided to drop any expectation that he would be there in any in any way that I wanted him to be, uh, I decided I was just going to show up and just love this man. I loved him. All that matters was was the loving. And when I made the decision that I was going to devote myself to loving this man as as a soul, as my father, to respect Mm -hmm. him, to honor him, without any expectation that he was going to love me back, because up until that moment, it had always been, I love my dad and takes, you know, it takes... It takes two to tango. It takes two to cultivate a relationship. And, you know, he can call me too. I just dropped all of that. And I said, I'm going to call him every day, every day for the rest wow. of his life so that when he's gone, he will know that he was loved by me. And when he's gone, I will know and have the peace that I fully showed up and loved him and, and have that knowing within myself. And so I would just call him every day. And, wow. you know, I would go months without calling my father. So this was a little unusual. I would call him every day and it wasn't anything special. It was just, hey, dad, how are you? Hey, dad, uh, did you sleep? Hey, dad, I'm thinking of you. Hey, dad, I love you. And I think after about, you know, it was it was a sense of just devoting to the commitment of loving. Yeah. And after about maybe three, four months, I think he realized what was happening. And something, because it wasn't spoken, something inside of him began to melt and something in our relationship began to dissolve. You could say karma was healed in this, in this devotion. And he just started, you know, the level of respect and loving that opened up for him towards Mm. me in a way that was unexpected was Mm. just so healing and so beautiful. So in the last four years, there's been a tremendous amount of healing that's happened Mm. between my father and I, that I think, uh, has made up in certain ways for the decades before that. And it's been a, right. a be- another beautiful gift that my mother's passing and her um, soul gave me. Yeah, Indeed a gift. And, you know, sometimes we're just not ready. And, yeah. you know, it, it takes something like this. You have done so much of your own personal work and transformed yourself in so many ways over the years yes. and taken big risks and helped so many people take big risks and dig deep and find out who they are. And you've done that with yourself. And so, you know, I would say that you weren't ready to be, be willing to stand in your own power Mm. and not have anybody else have to approve of you, including your father. And, you know, most of the time when people get to that state of, you know, being able to stand in their own power and not needing approval by other people, they usually push those people away. And they say, I don't need you. 
and they push those people away. And that's a different way of standing in your own power. And in fact, you're not really in your own power because you're still held by yes. that, that feeling of, I don't need you, right? There is a judgment on them. Yeah. And so you were really to that state where you were neutral. Yeah. You literally went to neutrality. That is hard to do. Yeah. And it is, um, I don't think you see that very often. You must not even see that very often with so many people in the world that you have touched. It must be something that, you know, doesn't come along very much. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. yeah. So, was the passing of your mom the impetus to write this book? Yeah, you know, what when my mother passed, um, months later, I felt, I felt something brewing in me in terms mm. of, I went through so much with my mother during the time she, she, you know, she was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, she, I got to spend a year with her, uh, flying back and forth from LA yeah. to London to be with her during her chemo, to, to, to take care of her, to, to talk to her. And it was, it was honestly, what turned out to be the worst, started out as the worst year of my life, turned out to honestly have been the best year of my life. My only regret was why the hell did I wait so long to savor and appreciate this yeah. quality time with her? Yeah, that's yeah. my only regret in life, honestly. Yeah. And so when she passed, I felt this deep impulse to, to, to write something, like something was coming through. And I remember... Uh, it's funny because I remember the, putting a whiteboard on the wall and I had all of these ideas of the book I thought I should write. I had all of these ideas, great ideas, by the way. Maybe one day I'll write the book <laughs> on some of these ideas. But, but books I thought would be New York Times yeah. bestsellers, books I thought publishers would want, books I thought the market wanted, books I thought uh, my clients would want to yeah, buy, books, yeah. honestly, books I thought would sell really wow. be good business. And I looked at like hundreds of ideas and titles and, and all of them sounded great, but none of them felt right. None of them mm -hmm. felt truly aligned in my soul's yeah. integrity. Yeah. They just felt more like marketing gimmicks and good ideas. And, yeah. and I could do them. The only word that really felt authentic, if I was honest, that I wrote, was the word surrender. And that's when I put one and two together and my the process with, with my mother together. And that's when I had a flashback to everything I experienced with my mother during that year. There was a moment when six months into her process, the doctor said to her, basically in the hospital in London, uh, there's nothing else that we can do. You're going mm -hmm. to, I mean, put your affairs in order. You're going to pass mm -hmm. away. And it's it's... Yeah. You know, you know that moment's coming, but when it when the reality is is there, yeah. and and the person you love the most is gonna no longer be, it, it hits you as a human being. And so, yeah. we left the hospital room, and I think this is where the seeds for the book were, were planted. We left the the hospital room, and I asked my mother, um, "Are you afraid?" And she said, very calmly. I'm not afraid. This little Japanese woman, you know, she said, I'm not afraid because I know that 
I'm not this body. And this body is just a temporary vehicle for my soul. And even when I'm physically gone, I'm, I'm, I'm not really dead. And, and she had such a calmness. And so I said to her, like, what can I do for you as your son to ensure that your final days are, mm. are, are, are graceful? Like, what do you need? What can I do? And she looked me in the eyes and I'll never forget. She said, there's nothing that I want and nothing that I need. The only thing I really want is what God wants for my life. Mm. And there was such a, peace in her heart and in her energy you know mm. this emotional woman during this year she didn't cry once she didn't feel like a yeah. victim she didn't get angry she didn't feel mad i never once heard her complain she truly in the face of her mortality and in a difficult experience she was at peace completely utterly at peace with her process and, and what i saw was she wasn't attached to living she wasn't attached to dying she was truly surrendered to the highest unfolding, the highest expression for her life. And I think that, so when I was looking at this, this word surrender and reflecting on my, my time with her, that's when I knew without a shadow of a doubt, I mean, I resisted it for a moment, uh, but that's when I, I had to surrender to the book that was seeking to be written, not just the book I thought I should write. Right. And then I felt like the, so, the the book had a soul of its own and it started to reveal itself and show itself to me and download itself to me. And so I had to live the process of surrender, even in the writing of the book, even in the title of the book, even in what went into the book and how right. the book came about. And and yeah, that that and my mother really inspired the, mm. the surrender, the theme. And, and I looked at her life and I saw that everything she lived and how my parents met and how they met without even being able to speak the same language and, right. and, and, and everything they'd lived and what I'd lived in my life, I felt had prepared me to write this book on surrender. Wow. But I was a little resistant because I think as human beings, you know, we know we kind of should surrender, but it's, it's, it's like going to the dentist, you know, <laughs> we know we should, but like, I don't know. And, and so I just really wanted, like when I really caught the vision of what was seeking to happen with this book, my soul lit on fire and, hmm. and, and, and I didn't care about business or selling it or market. I, I, I just knew that this was my uh, Dharma, this was my aligned path yeah, in terms yeah. of a book and everything yeah. just turned on. And I got so excited about inspiring people, inspiring a new generation to surrender, you know, positioning surrender as something exciting. Because, you know, there's so many misconceptions or myths, I think, in our culture that think? surrender is weak, that surrender is mm -hmm. passive, that surrender means giving up. We have these ideas of like, a monk in the Himalayas, shaving your head, being celibate, giving away everything. Like, who the hell wants to do that? You know, so surrender has become this, this thing that, that like, if you surrender, you're going to be a doormat. If you surrender, you're, you're not going to manifest your goals, dreams, and desires. If you surrender, you're going to get less than. And really what I want people to get excited about is the real power and possibility that surrender gives you access to that if you surrender what if you don't get less but you actually got more more than you could even imagine with your conscious ego's capacity yeah. to create what if yeah. you got more love maybe not what you most expected but beyond 
your wildest expectations beyond your right. wildest dreams. And so right. I think that's the, the exciting thing is to show people that surrender is the most powerful thing you can do. That is the password to freedom. That if you look at my mother or the great ones, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, they all surrendered themselves to a vision, to life, to their souls, to that deeper something. And it was in surrendering themselves, they transcended their human ego's limitations and they were able to tap into, I think, another dimension of their true potential. And in that they were truly open to life in that they were open to the infinite possibilities of life. And they took the limits off of life and life was then able to manifest through them in ways that were truly magical and miraculous. And so for me, that became so exciting to give people a, a, a maybe a different take and insight into the surrender surrender as in letting go of control, the illusion of control, surrender as in what happens when you stop trying to force and manipulate life to fit your small idea of how you think it should be. And you take, you, you let go of the idea of who you think you should be and how you think life should be so that you can be available and allow and be open. And then that's when the magic happens. And so for me, uh, it felt like a calling, you know, the book felt like a calling. Well, and your whole life has been like this. I mean, I know that you feel like this is, you know, probably a um, huge leap in the level of surrender. Um, and congratulations, by the way, because <laughs> it's amazing. Um, but as I, I know your story. And as I think about how from a young age, you started listening to yourself. Yeah. And part of yourself was saying, you know, I want to do this. I don't want to do that. Even though other people were saying, here, this is your path. This is what you have to do. And you started listening to yourself pretty early. And so you, in some ways you were surrendering to yeah. the message, right? Um, and so there's different types of surrender. It sounds like this type of surrender, though, um, really... Uh, what's, it had the integrity of your heart, mm. right? It wasn't simply doing what um, you wanted to do. It wasn't simply listening to your own voice. It wasn't simply listening to your, your intuitive self saying, no, you know, I think I should be that, do that, go do that, whatever. There was an integrity aligned with your heart yes. in yes. this. Yeah, I think, but I, I think that is real authentic surrender you know when when you know i think so, so often we're, we're taught nothing wrong with it but i think it is a limited model of cre of manifestation where we ask what do i want what do you want what do you want what do you, it's good to know what what you want but many times right. we manifest based on what we think we want yeah but then we realize that what we think yeah. we want is not what we really yeah. want it's just yeah. what we thought we wanted and, right. and we never really, you know, the I that wants is to a degree limited based on consciousness and conditioning from the past. And many times right. what we think we want can be a projection of unmet needs from childhood. So if sure. I can just achieve that thing and get that goal, then I'm going to be happy. And so for me, the deeper question around surrender is really about following your true 
integrity, following the integrity of your being, following the integrity of your soul and asking the question, what is it that life wants to express through me? What is it that the universe wants to express through me? What is it that my soul, what is the deepest impulse that is seeking to express through me? And, and, and attuning and aligning oneself with that, then you can sort of align your marketing and strategy and business plan and, and actions around what is most authentic, not yeah. just what you want to do because you can do it based on yeah. a, an ego concept. And so right. I think right. we can create life uh, from the sort of ego-based model and have a good life. But many times I find there's limitations because yeah, yeah. from the yeah. perspective of the mind, we're often not able to see the full picture. We think that what we wanted, this is, we want the peanut, but then life is seeking yeah. to unfold so much more. Yeah. If you look at Nelson Mandela, that's a life that you could mm. never strategize and plan. He followed his deepest impulse. It took him into prison for 26 years, but should he have not gone to prison for 26 years? Obviously, we don't wish that on anyone, but if he didn't, probably wouldn't be the Mandela he is today. Part of that journey for him, as an example, in his surrender, it perhaps took 26 years for him to marinate, for him to steep, mm -hmm. for him to develop the mental, the emotional, the, the soul force yeah. to be yeah. able to then come out and impact humanity at such a global level, even when his physical physical body is no longer there. And so yeah. I think in the surrender to what's true, we may not always go, we may not always take the route that we expect, but I really believe that there is an intelligence beyond our ego, beyond our personality. There is an intelligence that is really what we are. It's our life force, mm -hmm. it's our energy, mm -hmm. it's our soul that it knows. This innate yeah. intelligence, even on a biological level, if you cut your finger, the innate intelligence inside of your body knows how to heal. Yeah. And I think if we really trust this life, our soul that is that is living us and breathing us and is breathing you, is breathing me, is breathing eight billion people, is, is breathing, you know, all elements of existence. It's been around for billions of years. It no, it it knows. And so part of the surrender is to the deepest impulse, the deepest truth, one's integrity, and and to life itself. You know, and I think that's that's the magic. And so mm -hmm. surrender, just to be clear, isn't uh, just being passive and doing nothing. It's as you feel what's most true, as you feel what's most authentic. Maybe like for let's say a coach or someone in our industry, maybe yeah. there is maybe there's a message that your soul is guiding you to speak about, but you're afraid of it. You don't think it's going to make you any money. You don't think it's not. You don't think people will be receptive. But your soul is nudging you to speak about it, and it's true. Surrender is honoring that 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 impulse. You know, maybe there's a business that that someone needs to start. That surrender is honoring that deep impulse, and so surrender is when you honor that deep impulse, you take action based on that authentic oh, wow. integrity. You know, you take it, and it might mean you work twenty hours a day. It might mean it might mean you feel a cause that is truly important to you that you've been afraid to stand for, and it might mean you go protest. It, 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 so, so it might mean like like a, a Martin Luther King that you work 15, 16, 20 hours a day, nonstop, seven days a week, if that's part of what is true and authentic. And so, I just want to be clear 
but it doesn't mean being passive. It doesn't mean not taking action. Sometimes I want I don't want people to use surrender as an abdication of yes. responsibility or as an mm-hmm. abdication of taking action, saying, well, I'm just I'm just waiting and, and I'm surrendering when in fact it's it's yeah. the ego's excuse for laziness or or, or, yeah. or, or, act, or actually living in fear and mm-hmm. allowing fear to run you. And so surrender means acting in alignment with integrity yeah. and truth. Talk about your perspective on ego, because there's many different ways to look at ego. Right. And, um, uh, you know, in our society, ego gets a bad rap. Um, <laughs> and it, we see ego as something that um, gets in the way of life and gets in the way yeah. of good relationships and gets in the way of um some successes it it is something people are told to not be so egotistical and you know that means you know not touting one's um accomplishments etc and yet you know in letting go of ego in order to do the kind of work in order to get to surrender it really isn't about ignoring ego or dissolving ego or denying ego its existence. So talk about how you live with ego. Yeah, I think, I think first it's just important that we understand that I don't see ego as a thing. Uh, like, you know, here's a phone, it's a thing. Right. You know, there's a bicycle, it's a thing. To right. me, ego is a process of identification yeah. with body, mind, religion, skin, beliefs, memories, past traumas. So ego, ego is the process of how we are identifying with ourselves. You know, we're mm-hmm. when, when we're children, uh, so it's not good or bad. It's just, it just is. And, and yeah. less about, it's, it's not so much about getting rid of it. It's more about our relationship with it. And, and so when we're born, as you know, we're, we're born like these three beings. You look into a child's eyes, a child doesn't have very much ego. They don't, yeah. they don't know what's good or bad. They're just in touch with their pure essential nature, yeah. pure light. They'll, they don't have that self-consciousness. They'll jump on the table naked. They don't care if they're fat or not. Right. Or they'll, yeah. they'll sing. They don't care yeah. if they can't sing like Bruno Mars. They don't have much <laughs> ego about what do people think and what's good and what's bad. Yeah. And what is, they're, just, they're just being. They're just being pure essence, what they are. But then we start getting conditioned. We meet our parents. The conditioning process begins. Religion, education, school, media, parents, grandparents, family. All of a sudden, that process of conditioning starts. Then we start two things. We start shutting down, disconnecting, finding all sorts of defense mechanisms, strategies to not feel the pain of what's going on around us in our childhood. Maybe, you know, dad is crazy. Mom's an alcoholic. They're fighting all the time. And so because it's painful, we start shutting down, erecting all sorts of defense mechanisms that we then hold on to as a way of survival and control. And so we then hold tightly to these survival mechanisms to avoid pain. Then we start developing all sorts of strategies to get love, validation, and approval, developing all sorts of roles, masks, personas to get love, validation, approval from mom, from dad, from school, from friends. And then we start contorting ourselves into a certain shape as a avoidance of pain, as a way of getting love, 
to get our knees met. And we hold so tightly, we, we hold so tightly to this way of being that yeah. gets reinforced by society and life that the more tightly we hold to that, we start thinking that the way we have mm. been shaped is who we are. Mm. And we're like, no, I'm just shy. I'm just this way. I'm just independent. I just don't care. I am just this. And the degree to which we could say ego is the degree to which we are holding on um, to this patterned way of being yeah. is really ego. Yeah. And, and, and so I think when we, and we actually believe that this way of holding on is me. Yeah. That is where the suffering happens. That is where the egotisticalness is, the, the grip of the holding on. When we can begin to realize that that grip of holding on is a process of conditioning, you know, often out of good intention to protect us yeah. and keep us safe. Yeah. And right. then we can realize, number one, I'm not that grip. I'm not those patterned layers of conditioning. That's not yeah. what I really am. It's just the the the, the pattern laid of conditioning that I learned to be to get love, validation, function, and survive. So just that awakening, because many times the degree to which we are conditioned is the degree to which we're not free to be open and flow and meet life. That's the suffering. And so ego is a process. It's not good or bad. We all, we all have an ego. When we can realize we're not this pattern of conditioning we can begin questioning it we can begin questioning ourselves our belief yeah. systems we can begin questioning our perceptions the way we see the world uh, it can be scary sometimes to let go and so letting go of ego is not like destroying ego it's more right. loosening our attachment to our right. identity to our sense of what we think yeah. ourselves to be and yeah. that is the sort of loosening that can be part of why surrender can be a bit scary is because to loosen that grip of conditioning and, and identity can feel scary because yeah. for our sense of self, it's like, oh, shit, if I'm not this, then uh, who am I? And right. the way we've learned to do this is also a way we've learned to protect ourselves from the pain. And so we've become a certain way in order to not feel that pain again. So to let go can feel a bit scary. And so we have to be willing to question and self-reflect and be willing to let go and be willing to feel some of those layers of, shall we say, pain that we've learned to suppress that then keeps us stuck. And yeah. so Ego isn't good or bad. As human beings in this three-dimensional physical reality, ego is the vehicle. Ego is simply the vehicle for how we navigate. The attachment to the ego, the attachment to one's ego is more the issue than the ego itself. So it's not the enemy. Yeah. It's really in our relationship. Right. With it. And I think if we can hold that identification loosely with some spaciousness, then there can be the opportunity to, 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 shall we say, navigate in it, to be in it, but not of it. And I think that's, mm. that's really the part of the freedom. You know, if, mm. Even if you were to speak to the Dalai Lama and you were to say, hey, Dalai Lama, he would turn around and say yes. And, and so in order for him to say yes and respond to that, that's ego. But I would I would probably propose that he's not so attached to his 
Dalai Lama-ness, you know, and, and that's the freedom where yeah. he can, he can, he can be aware, okay, I'm the Dalai Lama, but also simultaneously, you know, well, I'm not really the Dalai Lama. I'm not that serious. It's not that serious. I don't have to take myself that seriously. And, and that, that relationship of knowing that what yeah. we are is, you know, we are infinite beings having a human experience yeah. and we live in an infinitely valid, but simultaneously contradictory reality. That's the nature of life. And so mm-hmm. we are human and we are divine simultaneously, mm-hmm. you know? And so ego is not so, the issue. It's just our relationship with it. Right. So talk about a time when sometime in your life, when um, you were stuck, when your grip on who you were, was keeping you stuck where you were. Tell us about a time that, that may have happened to you. I think there've been there've been different times in life. Um, I don't know if I write about this in the book or not, but there was a time when I, when I was, I came to the U.S. And I got this idea when I first came to the U.S. in the first few years, I got this idea that I was going to be the next Oprah. I wanted a TV show. Like I wanted my own TV show. And I was so on one level committed, you know, it's a positive thing, yeah. but I was so freaking, you know, attached. Like it had to be this show. It was going to be the show. There was no other alternative for me in life. And to be honest, I went through it. I mean, I tracked down Steven Spielberg. I tracked down billionaires. I tracked down Hollywood agents. I knocked on their doors. Like if there was a guy that went for it, I went for it. I was offered my own show at times. I was, I was, you know, I, I, I was offered to be represented by some of the biggest talent uh, managers in the world. And I was so attached to being this TV host that it not happening caused me so much suffering. Uh-huh. It not happening caused me so much pain. You know, I, in the process of that, I went broke because I wasn't working because I had to spend all my, all of my time and all of my life pursuing this dream, which uh-huh. I saw was really not healthy and not balanced in the way I was going about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so that attachment to, it has to be this, yeah. that attachment was, was I would say when my ego was really identified with the idea of who I thought I needed to be. And I'll I'll never forget that there's one moment when I met these two big time agents, managers, they represented J-Lo and DiCaprio and and Michael Jackson and all of these big shots. And they agreed to represent me as as a funny moment, not so funny at the time, but they agreed to represent me. And they looked at me because I pitched them this young 20-year-old kid. And I said, I want to be the next Oprah. And, and, and I gave them this whole pitch. And they looked at each other. And they looked at me and they said, we're going to make you a star. And they gave me a contract. And they said, come back tomorrow with this contract signed. We're going to begin. And they had all of these plans. And wow. I went home. Cheryl, I went home. Everything I had worked for, like I was literally, I was so broke, I was sleeping on a friend's couch oh, for the last oh 18, 18 months following this obsessive dream, Okay. And had maybe $20 to my name, scrounging money. The biggest managers in Hollywood now offer me this contract to, 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 to manage me. They want to take me to Fox to, 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 to do a deal for a show. 
I go home and I meditate on this. Okay, let me meditate. In my meditation, it's undeniable to me that the answer was no. I didn't know why. It didn't make sense. My ego was pissed off. My personality was mad because I wanted to be this like mega Oprah successful person. And deep in my soul, and this is something that I had to make peace with because I've never really been able to go that far off of that soul knowing, even though sometimes I've got, mm, and and so I see some people seem to be able to, but I, I can't. And all I knew was the answer is no. Didn't know why the answer is a solid no. I didn't feel that solid green light. And so I remember going to these guys the next day, biggest managers in, 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 in Hollywood at the time, and said, my soul doesn't tell me to. I just don't feel it. And they looked at me like, are you freaking effing crazy? Like, what the hell? Like, we, we're offering you. And I, I was this kid that's just like, no, but I'm going to be honest. That threw me into a real depression because as, as much as I followed my soul, my personality was in such resistance and resentment and anger. And there was this kind of internal conflict. And that threw me into a real depression because I felt like a captive to my soul. Yeah. And I didn't understand. I didn't understand. I followed it, but I didn't understand and I wasn't at peace with why it wasn't aligned. And I knew that if I don't follow that alignment, things don't turn out well. It threw me into depression when I, which then made me just give up. I just basically gave up. Mm. I gave up on life. I gave up like, what's the use? And I shaved my head, broke up with my girlfriend, put everything in storage. And I said, screw this, screw the dream. And that's what took me traveling around the world because I thought I've done everything that I could humanly do to make it happen. And it hasn't happened. Yep. I reached the edge of my own ego's capacity. It could have happened. It, it could have happened, happened, right? So that's the thing. It, it you you did exactly what you were supposed to do. I followed and so my guidance. You followed the whole thing. And then you got there and the answer was no. That and was, it wasn't no from from the people who could make it happen. It was no from, from my soul. your soul. From and soul. so that really speaks to what you were talking about earlier about, you know, the the identity it, it, being willing to surrender to that moment yeah. means having to let go of that identity yeah. that you are apparently they are trying to hand to you. Right. Yeah. And the panic that most go on in the personality around, you know, I I, I don't know who to be now if I'm not that. And so how did you get yourself to that? So you went traveling around the world. No, I I shaved my head. (laughs) Talk about (laughs) identity. I'm like, I'm done with myself. I shaved my head, put everything in storage. And I said, I'm not coming back until I find answers. And I ended up, long story short, I ended up in India and India broke me down and mm-hmm. and and somehow showed me all of the ways I was resisting life, what should be, what I thought should be. And, it, and, and somehow 
the process of being in, in India um, made me begin just letting go of who I thought I should be and what I thought I should be and the, 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 the intentions and projections I thought my life was going to be as this Oprah-like figure. And I just gave it up. And in that, I was there like three, four months. And in that process, I think I really surrendered. And, and I got mm. to the point where I said, God, I've, I have tried to make my life happen. And it kind of hasn't happened the way I thought. And so I don't know. And I, I was going to say I gave up, but I, I surrendered. And, and that's when I said, life, show me. And that's when I went on my own spiritual journey and met yeah. mystics and teachers and, you know, amazing beings that took me deep within myself. And to be honest, I look back now and I think, wow, had I got on a TV show at like age 20, 22, 23, I'll be honest, I don't know if I could have handled it truly yeah. on, on an ego developmental level. Yeah. I yeah. really don't know if I could have handled it. And I have this feeling that maybe I would have got on the show, wouldn't have really worked. It's my sense. And then what do you do after that? You know, I mean, who knows? But, but, and, and so I really look back and go, wow. I feel now that because I didn't get it, it took me and forced me to go on this transformational journey of healing and growth and, and, and deep exploration that out of that birthed my work and working with people in a very deep way, transforming yeah. lives in a very deep way that probably wouldn't have happened if I went in this sort of entertainment direction. Yeah. And so sometimes not getting what we want is or what we think we want is grace and in the moment when we don't get what we thought we wanted the ego is not always able to understand why something is happening in a particular moment right. but right. i really believe that life tends to be working out for our highest good even if we can't see it mm. in a particular moment you know and so sure it's, has been, worked it's been a blessing. out for you <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it worked out for you. Um, you know, your your life as a transformational coach and someone who is very well regarded in the field um, in terms of your brilliance and your integrity and your compassion. I mean, your compassionate heart is so big. Um, you know, people want to be with you there's something about your being that is very allowing people want to step closer and learn from you you know and the, you and I both know there's a lot of people in this field in the transformational field um, who people so they spend a lot of money on them but it's not about um, true transformation, you know? It's not about soul level transformation. And um, that's what I love about the work you do because it is uh, the real thing as they say, you know? And, um, and you, my dear friend, are um, an inspiration to me and to many, many, many of us. And, um, you know, I loved as I was reading 
the book, The Magic of the Rhythm. I love that photo that you used on the front. It was like, well, that's total surrender. Um, and and that's, not, that's not the title, I thought. That's not the, the cover, I thought. That's not the photo, I thought. I was oh, like, uh, I had to surrender to everything. And then it just, it was perfect. <laughs> that's great. I love it. I love it. So uh, I assume people can get this by just going to Amazon and yeah, the website? The, the, the paperback is out. So get Good. the paperback version, depending on when you listen to this, folks. May the 3rd, the paperback is out. Awesome. Check out the paperback. Um, yeah, and then you can go to also www.cootlaxon.com forward slash reinvent seminar. And if you enter your receipt on that website, you'll get access to free gifts as well as, depending on when you listen to this, the recording nice. of the free seminar. Awesome. I love that. That's so great. Coot, we could talk for hours, Thank but you. our time is up. <laughs> I know it's been great having you here. Um, and I, I just a side note, I that you're going to Bali soon is that true? yes Bali yeah. July the, the we do an event there uh twice a year so we're coming back now after a couple of years off so yeah. July July the 25th oh wonderful well people are going to have to read about that on your website too it's yes. quite intense <laughs> so Hoot I love you thank you thank so you. much for nice being stuff. with us today i bless absolutely you. adore you bless you remember everyone think big the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters i'm cheryl esposito thank you for spending this hour with cheryl esposito and leading conversations you can listen live every friday at 10 a.m pacific standard time on the voice america business channel if you have a question or comment for cheryl please email her at leading conversations at alexaconsulting.com that's l-e-a-d-i-n-g-c-o-n-v-e-r-s-a-t-i-o-n-s at a-l-e-x-s-a-c-o-n-s-u-l-t-i-n-g.com see you next week Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide.